Hello and welcome to the Albion Obsessed podcast. I hope you've been keeping it real this last week. Today we are joined, yes I said it, yes today we are joined by James, one of the people behind this amazing fanzine dogma. So we're going to be chatting to James a little bit about that but before we do, James, how are you doing my friend? I'm good thanks, yeah I'm good, sitting here on a Friday night, got my kind of rock and roll Friday night juice and uh, we're all good to go. I'm good, thanks. Good skills, good skills. Joe, you're back. How are you? I'm back. I'm on my chair. Haven't left. I'm good. You were very loud then, Joe. Very loud. Uh, it's probably because I shouted down the microphone, Tom. Well, I know it's a Friday night, mate. Sorry. Keep it, keep it real, Joe. Come on. Uh, and we also welcome back Mr. Curtis Friend. Curtis, brother, how are you doing? I am spectacular. Very glad to be here with you, chaps. Uh, Tom, how are you, though? How are you? You good? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm doing good. I thought the podcast was at five, so I was here like an hour ago, kind of just looking around, going, where is everyone? Um, I got the time wrong. It's been a long day. It's been a hard day, but uh, it's the weekend, so we move. Um, so let's jump straight into it. Let's talk, chat to James a little bit. Now, James, before we get into all the dogma stuff, we like mm. to ask guests three questions and they just help build that sort of image of you as a Brian Hove Albion fan. So the first question we're going to put to you, James, is when was your first game? When was the first time you watched Brighton and Hove Albion play? My first game was whatever the first game at Gillingham was. Um, weirdly, but also kind of, I guess, um, formatively, you having your first home ground as Gillingham is a, an interesting experience, I think. If you can if you can fall in love with it there there's nothing that you can't you know you can't do so that was my first ground um my first game would have been there I was desperate to go before that begging my dad and my uncle and my granddad to take me along with them to the Goldstone but this was the height of the the war years and my dad didn't want me involved in something which might not exist in two months time I think that'd be pretty devastating to a seven-year-old um, so yeah, my first home game was um, whatever the first game at Gillingham was. Decent, decent. As you, as you say, a bit of a very big trek for your mm. first home game. Um, so yeah, decent skills, decent skills. Joe, I hand the mic over to you, my friend. What's the second question, Tom? I've forgotten it. Is it is it goal? Is it is it shirt? I'm going to go with shirt. You go with shirt, James. Man. What's your favourite Brighton shirt? <laughs> well, um, I know you guys liked shirts. So I brought along an abundance of shirts, trying to potentially out-niche you all, if that's even possible. Um, the one I'm sporting at the moment is about as niche as it gets, which is a moody T-shirt I bought, or my family bought for me, outside the Millennium Stadium at the playoff final. It's got Mark McGee with a kind of crest and a little, I don't know if you can see it, but like of the Millennium Stadium there. Um, but my favourite actual shirt, I mean, there's options. If we have time, shall we indulge? There is always time for shirts. Okay. Right. So I think in in um, ascending order, I think at third, it'll probably be this little beauty and little being the operative word because I couldn't even get it over my head now, I don't think. Um, that's up there. It's classic, broad stripes. Quite like the pinstriping. Don't know what you guys think as uh, aficionados. Yeah, big fan. Um, big fan. Yeah, I enjoy yeah, it. It's nice. Donatello sponsor as well. Very yeah, cool and it's right. no secret that Tom loves a pinstripe. So 
Okay, cool. Right, we're in good company then. Um, I think second, and this is all testament to my age, right? They're all of the similar era because, you know, that's the, the things you fall in love with, are the things that you like forever. So second would be that one again. And this one is a classic. I also got it in a car boot sale at Basvik when I was about six or seven or something like that and wore it to death, including it's covered in the sort of stains and detritus that a six-year-old picks up. Um, but, you know, hardy, characterful. And then top of the part, I think it's everyone's favourite ever. I think it's the best shirt we ever had. Um, is the classic um, skin mark one. Excellent choices. Yeah, I think that shirt is just iconic. You know, the first shirt back in Brighton and, you know, that Mickey Adams era where we were just so brilliant. Um, yeah, so that's they're my shirts. How, how do you feel about my selections? I am a big fan of all of those shirts. Yeah, yeah. I think my, my that, that first skint one was the first Brian shirt I ever owned. Um, mm. so I've, that's got a special place in my heart. And I've told the story yeah. a million and one times, but I'll tell it again. Uh, I rocked up to football training in Haywards Heath wearing that shirt as a 10-year-old. And uh, I got laughed at because of it. All my mates were like Man United fans, Arsenal fans, whatever. And I wore that. I got laughed at. You went to Haywards Heath. I'm really sorry about that, Tom. <laughs> Thoughts and prayers. <laughs> only yeah. joking, Haywards Heath. Only, only, only joking. Yeah, you're going to get the, the Haywards Heath crew um, in the comments uh, coming down in your case. <laughs> and it'll get even worse because I'll tell them I'm from Burgess Hill. And I oh, no, that's like... Oh, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> <laughs> So next, James, who's your favourite player, past or present, would you say? Pa uh, past or present? Again, like, all my answers are, are going to be of that era. I mean, so my I think my first favourite player was Gary Hart. There was something really, like, special about Gary Hart, and this is no detriment to him, but, like, it was, it was an era of not many great players, like, of the Gillingham era. I mean, like kind of iconic players but he just had this like magic about him for a while and then the later half of his career scored the first goal at the Amex I think and that team that just about stayed afloat with him and Lloyd Owusu up front like he just it just his whole career was just amazing and a great individual but number one I mean again it's going to be everyone's answers who's my sort of age but um it's Bobby Zamora I can't be anyone else just the most you know scintillating player like again in an era of like muddy pitches and away games at Chesterfield or whatever just this effortless cool and effortless skill and ease and um and again you know the, the later half of his career what he did um so yeah definitely definitely Zamora can't say anyone else yeah when Zamora came back um I I had the first Nike shirt already but I bought another one just so I could get his name on the back yeah. because I already had I had Kyle on the back of it um so i just wanted an extra shirt with zamora so yeah That's i i love that choice mm. yeah zamora coming back was um was spectacular i remember a few seasons prior andy naylor teased on the last day of the transfer window that a club legend was returning and everyone was losing their like, absolute marbles about it being zamora and it turned out to be dean hammond <laughs> um but but yeah, it happened eventually. We got there. But no, James. Um, you know, I'm glad you said Gary Hart actually because I do think he's a bit of a forgotten player. Yeah. Um, he played at right back at one point as well, if I remember. He did a stint at right back. It was like Virgo went up top, Gary Hart went to right back. What a weird uh, situation. But no, not bad for what a thousand pound and a you know tracksuit. Yeah. Track yeah. 
not bad at all. Um, so, James, let's jump in to this bad boy, Dogma. So, James, this fanzine is its pretty spectacular, if I'm going to be brutally honest with you. It is fantastic. It's so nice to see that this sort of material still exists in a day of, you know, blogs on the internet and whatnot. So what was the sort of, what was the reason behind Dogma? What what did you think or why did you think that there was a space and a place for Dogma in, in the world? Yeah, so I think twofold. So... Parker, who set it up, he he'd been sort of he'd done some writing for um, the Seagulls Love Review, and he wanted to revive a fanzine. He thought, you know, we don't have one, we should have one. That's where the the genesis of the idea came from. And um, in its first few issues, it was very, very, very DIY, like staple bound, um, using lots of like stenciling and stapling in pictures and that sort of stuff. And then I just begged him to be involved i was like this is the coolest thing ever please can i get involved at all and um, and i did and then we started like it was this this like snowball effect of like really really talented uh, amazing people sort of gravitating towards what we've what we were doing um and the kind of the product that you guys have now is testament to like how talented the people we work with are because that they make it as good as it is because they're so good at what they do that it couldn't be any worse than what it is. But in terms of like setting up that kind of cultural, what we wanted to represent, I think like your point, Tom, about the internet was really interesting because if you think of fanzines historically, um, it was like week by week, 50p outside the ground. It covered that that news or that kind of current affairs and that that kind of chit chat and conversation that was going on. But that's so well catered for by what we have now of like, you know, like you guys like podcasts and blogs like We Are Brighton and stuff, which are, which do that like almost like weekly, quite short term stuff. So we were like, if we're going to do this, it has to be different. It has to be like unique and have a USP and then fill a kind of without wishing to sound too kind of, you know, business like about it, but like fill a gap in the market, I guess. Um and I think that's very much like the product we've got where the editorial is like long form. It covers topics which kind of don't really date. I mean, we, we publish three times a year, so it has to have a minimum shelf life of, of three months. But then as an object, we wanted to create something that you keep and that you have for posterity. Um, so that, that, that also informs editorial tone. It's got to be even more long term. So that's the kind of genesis of the idea, really, um, what we're trying to achieve with it. Um, I think people are really responding to that. Um, I kind of use the kind of like vinyl record analogy. It's like there's a place for, for vinyl records in a basically an exclusively digital kind of, you know, music world because you want the object, you want the experience, you want the, the tangible feeling of owning that artifact almost. And that's kind of what we're trying to replicate with Dogma. And why, I, I might be being silly here, but why dogma? What is the meaning behind the name of it? So it, it has a kind of like pseudo-religious connotation that we all feel like we sometimes have when we're following our football team in the sense that you're kind of, um, you're unthinking, you're committed, you're worshipping something bigger and higher than yourself. Um, so it kind of comes from there, but also it's a nice name. It looks good when you when you type it out. Um it doesn't have any particular 
um, like meaning so it can carry. Um, but yeah, really, it's about that kind of pseudo religious feeling that we that we feel like we have with our, uh, you know, with Brighton Have Albion. I'm, I'm sure you guys do as well. Um, yeah, I was sat there yesterday trying to work out if it was like, uh, what do you call it? So if it's per letter. And it uh, initialism, and, yeah. yeah, I thought it was that. So I was like, D, what could that? I was like, A could mean <laughs> Albion. Um, but no, it's it's that simple. I love it. Because it, it originally reminded me of the movie Dogma. Uh, yeah. That's that's where that's I, I thought that might be a, a thing. So. I love that film. Yeah. No, it's not. Um, but yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, but like maybe that's why it's deliberately vague you can interpret it you know um, as you want but yeah that's that uh, that's in my opinion where it comes from so james what's it like working with the team that you're currently working uh with that are involved in dogma it's in, it's incredible uh like i said you know it, the reason it is the way it is now is because of how good the people involved are um and that's like a snowball effect like the more issues we do the more insanely talented people that we gather um whether it's obviously you know writers photographers illustrators um and then we're looking to do like branch out into other stuff as well um and we're just gathering all these insanely talented people and it's just an absolute pleasure the kind of purpose of this really is to like be be a release from from the nine to five and normal jobs and it to be something that's really really fun to do um you know after work and it absolutely is that and a big big part of that is working with with the people that um uh, that are involved they're just the best good yeah i mean whenever you pick up an issue there are so many interesting written pieces i mean we've talked about the artwork i mean you know the likes of alfie um and you give out all that well you did in the last issues like the stickers and stuff which is fantastic and it helps I suppose, build this uh, little community that we have of all these fantastic people, writers, artists, and people that are just, as you say, really passionate about this one thing. It's one thing that we've all got in common, no matter that, you know, your creed, your race, religion, whatever, we all have this one thing in common, which is Brighton and Hove Albion. Um, obviously, like last season's come and gone now. So you're now onto this season and you've just released a, a brand new, um, a brand new uh, uh one one that's a terrible way of saying it you've just released a brand new tom uh, a fanalog a fanalog fanalog we should call it you've just uh you've just released a brand new analog fanalog um (laughs) now so much has happened and it feels like i've said this before on a previous podcast it feels like we're so far uh so like we've only just started the season yet so much seems to have happened so in the latest issue what do you touch upon without giving away too many spoilers? Cause we don't want people to, you know, get away with too much, but like, what, what do you touch on? Have you been able to touch upon the exit of Graham Potter and the rest of the staff? Well, yeah, it's, it's interesting. And it's kind of related to what I was saying before about like the kind of stuff we like to publish is pretty non time bound um, for all the reasons that I've, you know, I'm already covered, which is a nightmare when you're going to print on a Friday and on the Thursday night, the manager quits, right? Because this takes months to build, like months to put together. And then suddenly the whole world goes upside down in a matter of, in, you know, like in a, in a matter of a few hours. And it would be impossible not to reflect that. Um, so we do tackle it a bit, um, but we also take a longer term view. We also, what one really key aspect of what we like to 
discussing dogma a bit like what I was saying earlier is um, uh, we feel what's underrepresented uh, underrepresented in football media is fans perspective and like the kind of lived experience as we call it so the kind of the the grit and the culture and the the bits and bobs um, that come from following a football team up and down the country for 30 years or whatever um, we feel that's underrepresented so we focus less on by naturally we focus less on on like managers or transfers or that kind of stuff which is so well covered and brilliantly covered um, by other media outlets we don't really feel like we need to do that so we focus more on fan culture um, but going back to what you were saying I'm answering a question in a roundabout way I apologize um, uh, we, we do reflect it uh, a little bit but it was a bit of a nightmare <laughs> putting it together over the last week or so um, I think in some ways putting the issue together was a bit like a metaphor for what has been happening at the club in the sense that we freaked out we panicked but we're probably going to be okay because we take a longer term view and I feel like Tony Bloom probably shares that attitude with us as well um, so yeah, definitely. I, I absolutely love what you said about capturing the fans' experience and the fans' culture because, as you say, all that's covered is statistics and formations and was that selection right, was this selection right. It, it's never about how it's never about the feelings, uh, and we're all about the feelings on this podcast. Uh, we've spoken very deeply about mental health before. Our previous episode uh, with a guy from Zambia called Zombe, he was very men like positive mental health driven. Um, and I feel like that is what this gives, is it gives people an outlet, um, especially for reading it as well, to, to relive like uh, in this one, I hope you don't mind me saying, there's a bit on the women's Euros, um, which Cam wrote. And I was there on that night and every feeling that she jotted down i felt as well and it's that sense of wow like what a what a powerful thing yeah exactly and that's the perfect that's the perfect example john i think you've uh, you've answered tom's question to me better than i could which is like that article is is and cam's like writing of talk is so so good and it's a pleasure to uh, to have her involved um and like that you know that's exactly it her perspective is on what she felt like going to that game and that experiencing that tournament, that's exactly the stuff we uh, the stuff we love to publish. So, what's been your favourite issue that you've released to date, James? I'm sure there's like been a plethora that you've that you've really liked, but what's one that really sticks out? It's, it's the latest one. I mean, I'm not being like uh, uh, remiss by saying it's our best one yet because of the nature of what I was saying earlier about that kind of snowball effect. It gets better and better and better every issue. Um, the people we get involved, we have like an abundance of you know incredibly talented people that's one point as well it's like you don't realize until you start something like this how talented our fan base are <laughs> like just that that's just staggering there can be that many people that are Brighton fans that are so good at that sort of stuff but yeah like this one Curtis absolutely this one I think it's our it, it's our tightest I think the way that it came together with all the stuff I was saying about earlier gives it a kind of energy that we didn't, you know, that um, I feel like is really unique. Um, so definitely this one, yeah. So what would you say, just to sort of follow on from that, what what pushes you to, to do this? Like, what is your motivating factor? Yeah, I think 
kind of a lot of what we've discussed already, like it being a a release from from my day job. I happen to work in publishing as well, but um, you know, it's it's slightly different, and um, that keeps pushing us. Um, producing really nice things feels amazing. Like when you send it to print, and when it arrives in your lap, and it's been a bunch of pixels and images on a screen for three months, and then the thing is there in your hands is is amazing. We hope some of that experience gets passed on to subscribers because it arrives in the post, drops through the doormat. So you get that kind of delighting experience when you open it up, you don't know what's going to be in there. And like, so that really pushes me to create really cool stuff, really. Um, and just like a bit like you were saying, Tom, about the kind of like the community element, like, you know, meeting like, you know, people such as yourself and all the people that we've met and kind of um, got to know through it is, is so great. Um, so yeah, I think that's what keeps us going. I guess it gives the perfect analogy towards what social media is. Like it, it's all good having things on a screen. It's all good. But as soon as you get that, like I, I, when I opened this, I was like, Oh my God, this is amazing. Like the yeah. smell of it, the look of it, that just to have something to read and really delve into. Mm. Um, yeah. I, I absolutely love it. Oh, it's so great. That translates. Cause that's, you know, that's exactly what we're trying to achieve. So I'm really pleased to hear that. It's kind of yeah. like that match day program type thing. Yeah. You know, you've got that and it's this physical thing and you can read interviews from all these different people and get these perspectives on things that you wouldn't necessarily know about. And and as uh, it was mentioned by yourself, you know, you get all this, uh, all these incredibly passionate people and it just really comes across in the, in what you're doing. So oh, that's great to know. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I, like the program is a big inspiration in a way, actually. Um, and it's such a shame that, you know, they're, they're becoming fewer and fewer and definitely the quality is going down there. Um, but yeah, that, that's exactly what we're trying to, you know, trying to replicate that experience. So um, yeah, good to hear. Yeah, definitely. Just want to echo what Joe and Curtis have said there. I know it sounds really daft as well, but it's the feel of it. It's something, mm. it's, it just feels really good. Like with all due respect to the match day program, you know, you feel a match day program and it, it's got a one feel to it, but this, there's something quite nice about flicking through this. And like, I've, a few of mine I've like I folded down the pages going oh I'm going to read that again I mm. probably wouldn't do that with a match day program but I, w I have done that with my dogma issues um so James you've talked to us a little bit about the history of dogma how it first started out you know as you say staple bound um and then as you've rightfully said you know things are progressing and this one is your best issue yet so what are the plans in the future for dogma where does dogma go from here it's a yes yeah, good question I think testament to that kind of the the talented people that we're gathering and the different skill sets and stuff that are kind of like revolving around us we've got so many we've got more ideas than we've got hours and hands to produce um what we'd really like to do is kind of get involved in in the city center and um like the you know the, the kind of wider brighton and sussex area um a bit more um so you might have noticed there's a there's an advert in the latest one for um something that we're calling a communion there we are. Look at that on cue. Cheers, Joe. Um, yeah, which we're calling communion again with that kind of pseudo religious element. But that's going to be our first like pop up um, shop or kind of area. I like I'm in the city centre, so we're going to put it on during the World Cup. And um, yeah, we really hope that it's a kind of um, a mecca. Look at all these me religious metaphors and um, for people to come to and experience. And that's a theme that we'd like to continue. We can't say too much about something quite interesting that we're working on at the moment because 
you know, we want it to be impactful and surprising. But the general theme of like city centre focal points is something that we'd like to do to kind of take that, <clears throat> sorry, to take that kind of culture that we're that we're trying to foster and make it like a reality and a physical thing. Right. Um, would be really exciting and yeah there's plans afoot and then just to continue to produce you know really good issues like the one we've just done um so yeah we've got more ideas than pairs of hands at the moment so. <laughs> that's amazing i i really can't wait for for what what's coming next i absolutely adore uh, like this is my first issue i will say um and i i took the dive and, and thought i'd you know get into it but yeah. tom's got something from from a previous issue which is the the train ticket yeah. um which is just stunning That's like so all cool. these tiny little bits of artwork that come out and they mean so much as well like references to chance players uh results and stuff like that it's just so good how do people get involved in this and also you know subscribe if they want to where can they find you so the, yeah the easiest place would be our website which is um dogmabrighton.com pretty straightforward um jump on there and there's all the kind of you know relevant links to subscribe and get your copy we're on social media as well on twitter and instagram at dogma brighton um and yeah we just encourage you to uh, to get involved and uh, tell your friends goes without saying i will leave the links in the description below as well um so go and check out the incredible stuff uh, that dogma are doing um for sure thanks joe that's great so James, moving over to the the club itself, how have you found the season so far? Um, let's let's take the manager stuff out of it. How have you found it as as a whole? I mean, it's hard to answer that without referring to the managerial situation. But I mean, in terms of stuff that wasn't the manager, I guess the players, um, it's just been sensational. I mean, the results and the goals speak for themselves. The Leicester game was just such fun, like goals galore, you know, some legal and uh, some illegal, apparently. Um, McAllister being denied a hat-trick is a crime, Yeah, by the way. So it's just been brilliant. I mean, it's just been perfect. It it kind of felt like, you know, pre um, a he who shall not be named, um, you know, doing the dirty. Uh, It just felt like it was like, everything was coming together this kind of we've been threatening to be that good for what two two years something like that and then in those first whatever it is six games or whatever everything was just like and just clipped into place and then the whole world goes upside down and (laughs) and the future although uncertain exciting I guess uncertainty is the essence of football isn't it um really and that's definitely where we are now um but yeah so far brilliant um in terms of non-manager related situation. Uh, any particular players that have stood out to you so far as well? Um, I think I would probably um, like commit my life uh, to McAllister. I think he is the sexiest footballer I've ever seen ever. I loved him before we signed him. Like he used to play for like Boca Juniors. Like, is there a cooler football team in the world than Boca Juniors? Um, and just to see him like, just owning that position now it's like uh yeah like Basuma who he's like you know rotting on the bench at Spurs and McAllister has just taken up that mantle arguably and and I'm prepared to get some hate on this like arguably a more dynamic player than Basuma 
he has more range. He can shoot. <laughs> like, I assume I couldn't shoot. <laughs> um, so I think, yeah, him, he's just been so great to watch. And he's just such a sexy footballer. Like. <laughs> Yeah, based on how many goals Basuma scored, I think we can put them all down to flukes. Yeah. Um, especially the one against Wolves, that was a P roller, and the goalkeeper should have should have done something about that. Um, but uh, you pay homage to Pascal Gross as well. Just how important his 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 impact been this season, and keeping him as well. Obviously, we want sung. We want you to stay. He's staying. He's come out in so many interviews to say he how much he loves the city. Um, yeah, how important is it is it that we kept him? I mean, he's just like, not not that it was in doubt for me before this season, but I feel like the end of last season and rolling over into the beginning of this, he's just cemented his place as one of our greatest ever players. Um, He just, he's just been brilliant. His attitude, as you were saying, I saw some interview with him where he was like, yeah, I could go to Liverpool, but it might not be as good. You know, like it might be, it might be rubbish. Like, you know, look at uh, Bissouma, I'm not, you know, I'll keep... um, I kind of shitting on Basuma, I don't mean to, but like, you know, it, it, yeah, it could be worse. So like, he's just got, he's just like technically and mentally just a really phenomenal individual and no doubt one of our best ever. The way I describe him, he's just, sorry, he's just like the most professional football player. I can't really explain it. He's just the professional football player's professional football player. You know what I mean by that? Just just does everything he needs to do with so much class. Right back. Yeah. And like, I think that, that, that translates to like his technique as well. Like he's just got like such a purity with the way he strikes the ball and moves the ball. Like I can't really remember him like putting a, foot wrong or like misplacing anything like obviously he's limited in certain respects like all footballers are like you know people go people like go about his pace like that's uh sort of relevant um but like his 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 technique is just exactly like you're saying Kurt. it's just like true um yeah we speak about legendary status on this podcast a lot um something me and tom spoke about in our agree to d de- uh, disagree episode as well um Pascal Gross, legend. Would you, could you dub him as that yet? Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, yeah. yeah. I think the, like the last few games have further cemented that. But uh, uh, kind of unarguably, our best player of the Premier League is, um, and for me, he goes up there with the best ever. <laughs> there we are. <laughs> Curtis agrees. Amazing. Very good, Curtis. Yeah, it's hard to argue with any of that, James, really. Pascal's been a revelation uh, since returning to the side uh, earlier this calendar year. Um, And I think people like Pascal Gros are going to be very important in the transition we see um, during Deserby's first few games in charge. So, James, looking ahead to what is going to be a pretty tough uh, bedding in period for Roberto Deserby, and we go to Liverpool next. would you like to share any predictions of how you think that game might go? I mean, impossible to say. I mean, it's on paper, it's, you know, as tough as they come. But then it's also like new manager bounce, um, a kind of element of the unknown. Those fixtures are pretty much scratch, aren't they, really? Like, you don't expect to get much. Although I know we have beaten Liverpool quite a lot recently. But, um, but uh, I think it could work well for us having this completely kind of unknown um, entity um, turn up. 
and if you lose, I mean, most of the time you lose those games anyway. So yeah, I'm I'm just really excited. I think like Deservey just seems like a really cool individual, um, and I'm really excited to see what his football looks like. Yeah, what do There's you guys something... think? something again that the fans are just going to have to be patient with like uh, I went on Radio 5 Live um, when Chelsea appointed Graham Potter to talk essentially to a Chelsea fan which broke my heart a little bit but I told them to just give him time and just be patient from what I've read of Deserby he's very a very exciting coach um, and Tony Bloom's taken a huge risk um, but uh, I think we just have to give him time and th- there's no more of a risk to Deserby than there was when we appointed Graham Potter, in my opinion. Exactly. Um, so I, I think we just have to give him time, see what happens. Um, and the, the main thing is is staying in the division and then let's see what we can um, achieve next year. Yeah, yeah and, and like he'll get that time as well. Like really Potter only really found his rhythm by the end of last season, really, arguably. So that's what that's two years of kind of putting up with eight games without winning and, you know, like an element of, of frustration. So I think he, like Deserby, is probably conscious that this is the right club for him in, um, in that sense. And, and, you know, he'll get that patience. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, we're not one to, uh, you know, jump the gun, as it were. I don't even think Sammy Hoopier, um, I think he tried to um, leave the club and Tony Bloom was like, nope. Um, oh. But it, um, it was actually announced today that uh, international clearance had been granted for De Zerbi and his coaching team. And it was also nice to see that Andrew Crofts will be moving to the first team coaching setup as well. Um, I'm a big fan of Andrew Crofts. I remember, you know, when back in the 2010s um you know he was absolutely fantastic for the club so james i mean just really quickly about andrew croft um are you happy to see him as part of the first team setup yeah for sure i remember that was it when we played at st mary's and he scored that goal and it was televised at the time and i was at university so i couldn't go and i remember watching it and it was amazing we were on telly um and then we like beat one of the best teams or one of the well we were the best team in that no the next season um but they had this insane budget and we absolutely tore them apart um, and Crofts was a really key part of that. Um, again, just seems like a really good guy um, and um, perfect for the setup. I think it's been really interesting to watch, like with all the um, people that have left and how the their kind of replacement has come from within. I think that's just like really good strategy. You're always conscious of like who can fill that role, and he just seems perfectly suited for that kind of, you know, that. Um, um, I can't really say his name properly anymore, um, but the bald-headed um, former uh, Brighton player um, in that kind of role, really. So, yeah, it seems like a good bloke and, um, yeah, exciting. Yeah, there were a lot of people that um, said that there wouldn't be a space for the, the bald-headed bearded man, um, as, <laughs> as you say. Um, but with Cross going up then, surely that means there, there would have been some sort of job security for for him if if he did want to stay i don't buy that argument that people said you know the reason he went was because um his job couldn't be secured like in top flight football how many coaches are there in a first team squad and it's not like you the old days where you have one or you know now that they can have four or five six like chelsea have kept all theirs and got all graham potters so i just don't buy that argument that there wouldn't have been a job for bruno had he stuck around yeah i completely agree with you yeah well, James, lastly, right? 
end of the season, you're sitting back with a, with a beer, right? And you're looking up at the table. Where are Brighton in the table? What's the prediction? Like, like if I had to put money on it sort of thing? Yes, right now. Um, hedge my bets and say 10th. But we, we know how tight the pure mathematics are in this league. And last season, if we'd a couple of draws had turned into wins and a couple of losses had become draws, we would probably be talking about our European tour that we're currently on. Um, so it's it, this league is so strange how, um, you know, what it does to teams um, in terms of their final position. I think, I mean, like, I could confidently say we'd finish higher than that. And I could also kind of, you know, regretfully, but logically say we could finish lower than that and be threatened by you know, the dreaded R word. Um, but if I had to put money on it and you can catch up with me in whatever it is, eight months' time, um, I'd probably say 10th or whatever I just said, 10th, 11th, something like that. Yeah. I'd just say how weird it is that we haven't played for like a month and it's still going to be like another God knows how many days until we play a game of football And again. we're still in fourth, which is mad. Yeah, Honestly, and, and then there's the World Cup. So we've got a massive gap again. <laughs> it feels like it feels like COVID football all over again, like big old gaps and not knowing when it's going to come back. And I, I don't know how we stay so mentally sane with it being ripped away from us again. <laughs> well, that's a really interesting point, actually, isn't it? Like for so many people, it provides that kind of structure and that consistency and that like rhythm to their week, certainly for me. And I feel like if people are, you know, kind of relying on that and it's not around, um, yeah, it's, uh, it could be tricky. Yeah, what you need to do to get your football fix or Brighton of Albion fix is go down into the description, go to dogma uh, brighton.co. What is it? Sorry, James. Dogmabrighton.com. Yeah. Dogmabrighton.com and get yourself one of these. That's what you need to do. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks. Yeah, no I mean, worries. it's a. Uh... Football means so much to all of us in so many different ways. And as you say, it's very bitty this season. I'm sure we'll catch up with the fixture congestion a bit later on. But if you are needing a football fix, of course, check out dogmabrighton.com and their socials for their wonderful fanzines because they are really are spectacular. I can't emphasise enough just how interesting it is to read these fan perspectives. And as James says, there's so many talented, wonderful individuals working on them it really is worth checking them out so and James, you get some fun stickers too and you get fun stickers and you won't get this because that oh, already came that. Went. it's but so cool you framed framed that tom it's so cool I, i've you know well you might not know listeners but every time you get one of these lovely uh fanzines you get the front cover as well and i framed all of those as well james oh, and they're in my they're in my office that's amazing um, thank you so, but no, it's um, it's uh, been a genuine pleasure, James, to have you to have you on here and to chat about Dogma and you know all the wonderful things you guys are up to over there. Um, we really hope that you have a fantastic season, and we really wish you all the best for the future because it is a really exciting uh, project. I know we've said it before, but to actually be able to hold something is quite remarkable in this day and age. I feel so. It is really nice to sit there in bed with a cup of tea <laughs> flicking through your dogma that's why that's why we sound like such old men like everything's yes. digital now it's disgusting well i am it in sounds my like you've got, yeah it sounds like you've got a wild weekend lined up anyway tom so <laughs> got to recover from all this teaching malarkey i just um, can't say i just can't say thanks enough for like having like all the nice things you've said um about dogma are completely um uh, reciprocated by uh, 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 from us to what you guys are doing 
and just um yeah thanks so much means means a lot that's no worries at all james you you're always much. welcome on as well like the next um issue come on and we can sort of um as you suggested in messages to me do a, a deep dive into it and and talk about all of the issues raised um within it um so so many important things are raised in this issue um so yeah it'd be really good to to do a real real delve into it mm, that'd be great yeah Fantastic. Well, guys, thank you very much for joining us on this Albion Obsessed special with Dogma Brighton. Please check them out in the links below. If you have not done so already, don't forget to like, share and subscribe for more content, because as ever, we've got wonderful stuff coming your way. If you interviews, perhaps with some former players, maybe. Um, but more on that later. Wherever you are, whenever you are, have a great day, evening, morning, weekend. See you next time. Take Keep care. it real. Keep it real. <laughs>